Welcome to Northern Gold, a football podcast from the Evening Express and Press and Journal. I'm Ryan Crail. Today I'm joined by Callum Law, Sean Wallace, and Andy Skinner. How are we doing, people? Fine. Oh, Not bad. Yourself? Yeah. yeah, I'm okay. Um, although I was, well, I wouldn't say sad, but I was, um, I was a bit disappointed yesterday to maybe hear the, the perhaps unavoidable news that the. Scottish football below the championship had been shut down, which is something that we'll have to discuss at length today. So we'll start with that. Obviously, we'll get on to Aberdeen's game against Rangers at the weekend, as well as Ross County's loss against Livingston. There's some Scottish Cup business to tidy up as well. But yeah, let's start with that. The SFA announced yesterday that they finally decided to shut down football below the championship. I think everyone will agree with me when I say it was coming. Um, simply because the the COVID situation in the country, um, lockdown restrictions tightened, things seemingly getting worse and worse. There was a kind of a strange um, contradiction that part-time players were still travelling all over the country to play games untested. Rod Petrie perhaps summed up best, and you don't see that often about press releases, but um, saying the risk of mass transportation of untested Largely part-time players is something that cannot be sustained as cases continue to rise and available hospital beds become increasingly scarce. Um, now that obviously emphasises the Scottish FA felt they had a moral um, obligation to suspend things for a period of three weeks, first of all, but there are other um, reasons perhaps people have levelled at them as to why things have been called off, namely Celtic's uh, Dubai debacle. But guys, first of all, right call. I would say so, yeah. Um, I think it was pretty telling in the aftermath of you know, Nicola Sturgeon's announcement that there would be a lockdown a week ago, um, that people were surprised that football hadn't really been mentioned as part of any kind of scaling down. Um, you know, there's been a stay-at-home message that's been you know, circulated throughout the nation um, with no real mention up until yesterday of how it's going to affect football. So I think... It was inevitable something was going to give and you know as it's as it's happened you know more and more players at kind of part-time level looking ahead to the the scottish cup ties which were supposed to have been played on saturday um you know there's just more and more noises of you know just a little bit of discomfort with the situation and i think it was it was pretty inevitable something was was going to happen at some point yeah, I think it's a right call about two weeks too late. Should have been made at the very turn of the year or maybe just before. I mean, there was a growing unease amongst players, uh, certainly Highland League, the, the lower leagues as well, about <clears throat> having to travel to matches and basically play. When you, I mean, you're going home to your families, you're working. It was just putting them at an unnecessary risk which didn't need to be there so I think shut it down for three weeks see where it is after that but my concern is that it'll be a lot longer than three weeks because I can't see the numbers coming down by the end of January so it could be March before we get back up and running with these which is a blow but I mean it's necessary because we need to keep the numbers down and like Petey says we need to keep people at a hospital in terms of the when you shut down, Sean mentioned it there, and uh, Jim McAnally actually said it yesterday. He would have favoured, you know, at the turn of the year, shutting down then, because I think we've all seen with the way the numbers have been going that this was potentially on the cards. And I think there's quite a few people within the game thought, you know, for once Scottish football could maybe be ahead of the curve to some extent and shut down early and then be able to potentially, you know, be better positioned to restart sooner if you f- catch my drift. I do think, though, shutting down th- everything below the championship, there is justification to be shutting down the premiership and the championship as well because testing seems to be the thing that's keeping them going in the apparent, I mean, bubbles with the full-time teams. But I think we've seen that Certainly the supposed bubbles don't work particularly well. And in my opinion, they can't work unless... Because players are going home to their families. They might have had kids... Obviously not just now, but they might have had kids going to school. They need to get shopping, need to put petrol in their car, whatever you want to list. Unless you have 
everyone that's involved, players, managers, locked away in a hotel and they're not allowed to see their families. You're not in a biosecure bubble. And I think we've seen that throughout the season with a number of positive tests you've had in the Premiership. And I expect that we'll see it now that they're testing in the Championship as well. The other argument that I would make and other people have made as well is the full-time game has been more disrupted, if anything, by COVID problems and COVID breaches than the part-time game has. I mean, some of these incidents are more individual cases than clubs, but if you look back at this season so far, you've had St Mirren and Kilmarnock unable to fulfil matches because of breaches in uh, players and staff having to isolate. You've had the players in Scotland under 21 duty. I mean, that was the National Association who are making these decisions, made a mess, uh, getting players to and from international duty safely. You had Dundee United's team photo uh, and subsequent outbreak. You've had the the Aberdeen 8 right at the start of the season, volleyball and golly, Celtics trip to Dubai, Rangers, Jordan Jones and George Edmondson having a party. I mean, we've seen in the part-time game, there's been nowhere near the same number of incidents as there's been in the full-time game. So I think a lot of pe- if you're shutting down the part-time game, there's certainly, given the situation across the country as well, justification for shutting down the full-time game as well. I, I agree with Callum. I think Scotland at the moment is maybe three, four weeks behind the situation in England. And there's more and more positive cases with top-flight sides in England because, as Callum says, I mean, these these players, regardless of being in this biosecure bubble, are going home to their families and they've got wives that are working, kids at school. So as the numbers continue to rise here, there'll be more and more positive cases. And I hate to say it, but I think it's inevitable that the Premiership will be going to a freeze as well, maybe sometime in February. It just seems to be coming on the horizon. The great, the great irony for me out of this as well is the basis of this decision and the focus of this decision has been about the part-time game. But if you look in the championship, you have Aloha and Arbroath, who are both part-time. And I know the majority of people are working from home, but you will have players in these sides who are will have to go for their work. I think I've put well-publicised ones, Bobby Lynn that plays for Arbroath. He's a bin man, so he, he has to go to his has to go to his work. And you're testing these guys, but the t- I mean, as soon as you've had your test and got the result, can it's basically out of date, but particularly part-time players. We've spoken about the full-time players, but in theory, their environment should be training, playing matches at the stadium and be at home, and that's just about it. But with part-time players who have to go to their work go to training they're in a number of different environments you know the te- the testing is all almost a waste of time in, in my opinion to some extent because they can be tested on the Tuesday or the Thursday or whenever and then be working for two days before they play a game so it's not like you can say it's per- particularly safe in my opinion I, I just can't square it off with I can't go out and see my stepson and his girlfriend in a park because of the current lockdown restrictions, yet 22 blokes that are and, well, and women that are untested could go and play football in a park. It just doesn't make sense to me. So Along me, with the officials, only... Sean? Oh yeah, the officials as well. So add another three there. Another three. Can, I, can I jump in here quickly? Sorry, Callum. The, obviously, we've all discussed here that there is a there's a clear case for the suspension and widening the suspension probably to the the championship in the premiership the timing of the suspension however and i think uh graham tatters from elgin andy correct me if i'm wrong has perhaps been part of the the group that has suggested this has got something to do with it the celtic breach that you've mentioned callum i've mentioned well not really a breach but there has they went to dubai it's against the spirit of the rules i think we can all agree 
is that has, have the lower leagues been offered up now as some kind of tribute to sort of um, quell the the Scottish government's anger at something a Premiership club has done? I don't think so. I the this the lower league shutdown, in my opinion, the timing's one thing, but I don't think it's linked to the whole Celtic debacle because. And as I said before, if you look at the low, the lower league game, and if and maybe they haven't looked at it, but if the Scottish government were looking at that, I think you could pick very few faults. And I mean, in terms of part time game, there was an Clyde had an issue where they couldn't fulfil a game, and Forfar had an issue where they couldn't in a, in the league cup and in the Highland League. Devon Vale had players isolating uh, ten days ago, so their game against Bucky had to be postponed, but. Out with that, there's been very little. I think the the Celtic debacle is an entirely different affair, in my opinion, to what we're seeing with the lower league shutdown. I mean, I, I, I feel you know massive sympathy for the the lower league clubs that uh, that aren't going to be able to continue now. Um, and I, obviously, I get the the logistics um, that that you've you've outlined there. But speaking purely as a, a reporter here, you know, I am in a sense relieved that we do have at least some football to to keep us going. And you know, even even though the testing isn't perfect, um, you know, for the the reason that you outlined, Callum, with the you know the part time clubs in the championship and um, you know the logistics behind that. I still think it's it's important that some sort of effort was made to to try and keep some football on the you know on people's screens. Even people can't go to the games just now. Um, you know, I, th- I think it it probably is mentally quite important to have some form of football continuing. Um, but I guess it's a situation that's going to have to be monitored pretty closely in the coming weeks. And you know, it just it, it forces the clubs to to really step up a, another level to. Um, to ensure that all these protocols are being met, um, you know, because the the list of you know breaches and inconsistencies that you've you've outlined there isn't, you know, it doesn't make for great reading, um, given the you know the sacrifices that the the country as a whole have had to make uh, over recent months. Other Premiership clubs must be absolutely raging at Celtic. I mean, they've they've went to a lot of expense and effort to set up these uh, bubbles. And I mean, there has there has been breaches and there's been bumps in the road, but on the whole, it's been pretty successful. And yet, Celtic jet off to Dubai and put un- unwanted heat on all the other Premiership clubs just for a week in the sun. Uh, to me, to go when they did is morally reprehensible, and there's absolutely no excuse for it. And there's been no, there's been no like apology or any sign of regret from Celtic. I just find it absolutely baffling. I mean, they've got supporters that are losing their jobs, supporters that are losing their lives, worried about their family, and then they're out in the heat in another continent. It just, the whole look of it, the feel of it is wrong. What I was going back to the lower leagues a wee bit as well is it's worth pointing out I think anyway that not everyone, you know, there's a opinion is quite divided on stopping. There's a lot of people, particularly players and players that I've spoken to in that, and guys that I've seen speaking about it, are keen to were keen to carry on if they had been allowed because they, you know, they had seen the benefit of that, and it was good from a mental well being point of view as much as anything. And as Andy touched on, good even for people to be watching games at home and it's worth I think it's worth saying as well that part-time clubs have put in a tremendous amount of work to have protocols and processes in place to safely play games particularly I know it's mainly volunteers in leagues one and two as well but in the Highland League the amount of work that clubs have put in and everyone that's doing it in terms of you know people at clubs it's all volunteers and the the effort and commitment that they've shown to actually get games of football on and start the season has been quite quite incredible. And I know there's players, and I mean some don't, but I know there's players and people involved with clubs who would have liked to continue if possible because of the 
the um, sheer effort that has gone into to making it possible. And going back to the whole Celtic debacle, I, I mean, there's no question for me as well that they shouldn't have gone. And even if though it was approved, it's a terrible look. And what's they've said since and all that, that's, I think, beyond debate. The one thing I would say, though, some of the outcry about the pictures that emerged when they were there and the one of Neil Lennon and Scott Brown and the Sun Loungers and Nicola Sturgeon and the government sort of trying to put the squeeze on the SFA. I think not just for them, but for all of us, really, there's a wee bit of sort of selective amnesia when it comes to these sort of things. If we go back qualified for the Euros in Serbia at the end of November, at the middle of November, we are, I think everyone, everyone, politicians especially, were desperate to jump on the bandwagon with that, and everyone was reveling in it and how great it was. And we saw the videos at their hotel afterwards, at congas and all sorts. And I mean, fair, Ken, they deserved to celebrate, in my opinion. They'd achieved something that hadn't been seen for 22 years, and fair play to them. I've got no issue with them celebrating, but all the congas and things that we saw. Well, no, that's uh, not really within the protocols that have been set out for returning to uh, playing football and going abroad and these things. That So if you're looking at the rules, it shouldn't have been happening. But I didn't hear anybody uh, after that um, criticising or moaning about the scenes that we saw there. So I do think it's, you know, so, sometimes with these things, it's what worth it. It's worth remembering that as well. I mean, not that I had a problem with Scotland celebrating, but with some of the politicians, I think it is a bit um, pot and kettle, etc. I did have a problem with Scotland celebrating. I think I'm just miserable. (laughs) (laughs) It's suggesting, Callum, that that conga was the first in a long line (laughs) of breaches. (laughs) No, but the the point stands, though. It's like within five... Within five minutes, and it's not just her, but she's the lead of the country, but within five minutes of Scotland qualifying, Nicola Sturgeon was tweeting about it, and once we saw the celebrations, every, I think all your MSPs and MPs were rejoicing in that and, you know, happy to see Scotland celebrating. So, I mean, it's not... I mean, obviously, Celtic, there's when you see the amount of people in isolation, there's deeper issues and breaches but you know not we've seen with that and we've seen with other instances that not everything has gone smoothly yeah um can i ask you callum and andy something that was raised in the conversation i had yesterday with Cove rangers chairman keith moorehouse um what what's what's the feeling you're getting from people in the highland league and the lower leagues about the fact that obviously when football came back there was a sense that we were getting quite close to fans being allowed back to games and that was one of the reasons especially with the Highland League that they decided to go ahead take the plunge start the season now we're probably further than we've been since the first shutdown to getting fans back in grounds because this new strain is so virulent that it's um, you know it's just it just seems a long way off Um, do you get the sense that clubs are perhaps one of the reasons they're kind of happy enough with the suspension um, is maybe that, you know, there's that financial burden that they know they're playing without any of that gate revenue for the, the near future. Well, I think we can probably safely uh, wave goodbye to any hopes of having fans back in grounds this season. Um, I mean, from Elgin's point of view, I know that they're certainly keen, you know, in the light of this latest shutdown to dip back into the furlough scheme, which is something that, you know, a lot of clubs did and, you know, it proved to be a bit of a, a lifeline for them at the time when no football was being played. And I suppose for the, the clubs at sort of League One, League Two, Highland League level, you know, that, that furlough scheme is something that probably has a, a bit more of a tangible benefit, you know, compared to clubs that have got, you know, a a, a bigger payroll really uh, at the, the higher end. So I think the, the opportunity to, to shut down temporarily, um, is something that they, from a financial point of view, you know, won't argue against. Um, I guess it just it raises the logistical question and the, you know the practicality of how, how you know how easy it's going to be to finish the season from from here because it's going to create a 
a massive uh, backlog for fixtures to be fulfilled and um the, lo- the longer the you know the shutdown goes on you know whether it's beyond january or not you know that's just going to pile you know massive pressure onto the the fixture schedule um at uh, you know at all levels from a financial standpoint uh, andy obviously mentioned the furlough scheme there the other thing that can't be forgotten is the the grants available to leagues league one league two and highland league clubs after the scottish government's uh financial support package was an, announced to scottish football so league one clubs are to receive 150,000 i believe and league two clubs 100,000 and highland league clubs 33,000 so that for these sides will make a huge difference in terms of being able to get through the season and to survive and then in terms of the highland league i think that at the start 10 of the 16 competing clubs could welcome a limited number of supporters but the six in aberdeenshire couldn't i think the prospect of the the grant money was key as well to the highland league and particularly the clubs who couldn't let any fans in i think that was key to them starting uh the season the other thing that's worth pointing out in the highland league is that um I think just about across the board, or certainly I know of a number of cases where players and management have been continuing, but they've been not taking any wages, which has been, you know, I I know clubs have got other costs, but that's been a major saving for clubs as well, that um, players and management and coaches have made that sacrifice. So I think for, for that point of view, clubs aren't in too bad shape at this stage. From a from a fixture standpoint, speaking to Rod Houston yesterday, the Highland League secretary, at this stage he's quite optimistic in terms of completing the season. I mean, the Highland League opted to only have a 15-game a league campaign, so they do have quite a lot of scope. And he said at this stage in previous seasons, the fixture congestion he's had to deal with has been worse simply because of inclement weather. Whereas if they can if they could start middle to beginning of February, he's he's quite confident about um getting the se- getting the season completed uh, to the timescale that's required. And the other thing I was gonna mention in terms of fans is and I, Rod said this as well yesterday. They did feel like there was tangible progress made in terms of some clubs having supporters, but he says that pro that progress, you know, it, it hasn't or that the steps that were taken hasn't gone to waste because having started the season and with some clubs having had fans as well, when they are in a position to restart and when fans are in a position, however long it may be, to come back, clubs will be because they've already done it. Highland League clubs feel they'll be in a better position to do it again if that makes sense so as much as it feels like backwards steps at the moment the work that was done earlier in the season isn't just a a total waste of time because clubs now have in greater experience of of what's required the the financial aspect is also worth pointing out for cali thistle as well because um you know in terms of their position relating to to yesterday's announcement you know the the landscape's changed for them in the sense that they're able to continue, but you know the the requirement is now there upon them and the other championship clubs to to carry out testing. So I mean that's going to certainly come at a cost, which the you know the grant at their level um, from the government um, that that equates to about half a million pounds for them as a club. So you know that's money that again bigger crowds at that level and a, a bigger shortfall as a result, which you know that money was designed to to try and plug but the um the grant will help significantly in terms of them having to now um at quite short notice you know um get a a testing facility on the go for for their players and staff on a a weekly basis you know the, the the club are still awaiting confirmation on exactly you know what the requirement's going to be um and whether they're they're going to have to do it for for this week ahead of the the championship trip to Wraith Rovers on Saturday, um, so the I guess the logistics will be something that they uh, become familiar with in the weeks to come. But the 
you know the whole prospect of them having to test in order to to keep going is, is something that they probably I wouldn't say they, they didn't foresee it they, they maybe imagined that it, it might have been something that, that that was going to be required of them at some point down the line but it certainly hit them at quite short notice so um, you know it'll be interesting to see just how efficiently that can can all be set up well that's 26 and a half minutes and we've not actually discussed the game of football yet so next up we'll try to get on to some actual football All right, I perhaps spoke a little bit too soon because at the weekend there were meant to be loads of games but freezing conditions across the land meant that pretty much, well not all, but most of the Scottish Cup ties involving north sides from Highland Leagues and the lower leagues were off as well as the Highland League clashes between Lossiemouth and Clapcudden, Devonvale and Strathspey. So over the last week um, we've had, we have had three games played the first round tie between Camelon and Brora, um, which Brora won 2-1, finally took place last night, I think at the seventh attempt. And the second round clashes between Fraserburgh and Banks of D. Fraserburgh won 2-1 and Alwa and Cove, which Cove won 3-2 in dramatic fashion. They took place on Saturday. Um, first of all, Andy, probably one for you, but Brora, it must have been difficult for them having so many delays to get that game played down the road um, with so much at stake, the second round tie with Hearts, whenever that will take place now. But they managed to get the job done in the end, yeah? Uh, this this kind of turned into a bit of a, a saga, really. I mean, the, the game, if you cast your mind back to Boxing Day, which feels like an eternity ago, the, <laughs> the game went ahead. Um, it was abandoned at half time due to the weather conditions at Camelon's Carmuir's Park. Um, I think three further attempts were made to play the game at Camelon's home ground, but uh, you know, once it became pretty clear that you know the weather was not getting any better, they shifted it to uh, a venue in Denny, uh, Westfield Park. So a couple of more postponements there uh, led to the game eventually being um, scheduled for for Monday night. So. That uh, that that finally went ahead, and just when you think of the again logistics is a word that I'm using a lot here, but the you know in terms of the the the, the working schedules for Broda's players, the you know their their livelihoods, it will have taken a, a huge amount of uh, disruption uh, for them to schedule the the time required to make the journey down to to Denny, um, and with so many false dawns for midweek games that didn't go ahead. I can only just imagine how, how chaotic that must have been. But from speaking to Broda last week, the, the bus company that they, they use for away games weren't taking a, a fee um, in advance for, for games that were uh, ultimately cancelled. So, you know, they didn't lose out on booking fees and things like that. Um, I'm, I'm sure uh, they'll have been paid... Uh, a little bit later than than planned after, as a result of the the game going ahead last night, but no, a good good professional job by Brora in the end. They they had a bit of a, a scare going behind in the first half, but turned it around well. Um, Camelon finished the game with nine men. Um, Brora got a, an equaliser midway through the the second half through Jordan McRae, and not long afterwards managed to to turn the game on its head with a, a Mark Nicholson header. So. Um, just a, a relief to get the game finally played and they can now look forward to that tie against Hearts whenever that may be. The winner of Fraserburgh Banks of D as we found it from Sunday's draw was going to play near County Montrose so no one knows who they're playing properly yet but Fraserburgh obviously come through that tie 2-1. I think Banks of D felt it was um, a bit of a missed opportunity having gone 1-0 up but against a strong junior outfit Fraserburgh showed their strength as one of the top sides in the Highland League. Callum, impressive? Aye, well, I think the thing with the Broch is, I mean, they're a good side in the league, obviously, but they have been for a number of years and they continue to be a very good cup team. I don't know what it is, and I don't think even they can quite put their finger on it sometimes, but when they, in these winner-bust games, really, where there's no margin for error, Fraserburgh 
as they, well, they won two cups, obviously Aberdeenshire Cup and Shield last season showed it, but Fraserburgh and these, and they've proven it time and again in the Scottish Cup down the years that they're just capable of finding a way through these games. I mean, Banks are D. Jamie Watt, the co-manager, said to me before the game when we were previewing it that he felt it was probably the they will get other opportunities, but it was perhaps the best opportunity they might ever get as a junior side to get themselves into the draw with pre- the Premiership big guns. Because he says normally at the second or third round stage when you're one game away from play- being in the heart with the Premier League's Premiership sides, he said normally you're playing a League 1, League 2 Championship side, a team you know quite a few levels above you. But he said even though Fraserburgh Highland League said playing another non-league side he felt was a very good opportunity but unfortunately for for them they couldn't they couldn't quite take it but I mean I I did fancy Fraserburgh to just squeak it and that uh, proved to be the case and I mean whether it's Nair or Montrose whenever that uh, game may eventually be played I think the Brock will uh, fancy themselves to get through that one as well, playing at home. It's uh, Some of these Scottish Cup ties, Bells Lee, often proves to be quite a, a formidable place to visit. Cove, obviously they set up what we like for now would be a third round tie with the Rangers. Covid, obviously when you win, when you go through from the second round and you're in with the heart with the big guns, it's kind of Celtic Rangers at Aberdeen you want. I think Paul Hartley had nailed his colour to the, colours to the mast and asked for well, asked for, um, said that he would like the Cove to play Aberdeen at the Balmoral, but they've been drawn against Rangers at Ibrox. But just desserts, to be fair, given they were 2-1 down against Championship outfit in Alloa, to get back to 2-2 and then win in the last minute with a Ryan Strack and Howitzer of a free kick. Um, I mean, it's just, uh, we see it quite a lot, but it's another another big result, big, big milestone in Cove's history, I suppose. Well, it's a, the first time that result was the first time they'd beaten championship opposition, um, or so they said. Anyway, I was going to say so I read. So, uh, I mean, that's another significant milestone. I mean, Ryan Strachan's winning goal, you're talking goal of the round or goal of the tournament stuff to leather it into the net for about 30 yards with a free kick with virtually the last kick of the ball. So, tip of the hat to Ryan because that was a, super, a superb strike. I mean, in terms of the draw, it's obviously, you know, it's a big name and the trip to Ibrox and everything, which is really good. But I do feel for Cove, I mean, we're still, we don't know when it might be played, but I do feel for Cove in terms of, in a normal season, in a normal year, which feels like a a distant memory, to be fair, you'd be going to Ibrox and there'd probably be 40,000 fans there in the club Cove would be entitled to half the the gate receipts. I know to the players that's maybe not such a concern, but to the the guys running the club and that you know normally that's a tie a Rangers or a Celtic away from homes. What we would describe in print as a money spinner, but on this occasion, while there still every chance of probably being on TV and the prize money in the third round is relatively decent, it's not the you know it's not the Perhaps the the big tie it is in normal circumstances, but still for the for the players and the ma- the management and for the club to go be playing Rangers at Ibrox and the first time they've done that, it's another sort of big day, I suppose, in Cove's uh, history. You would hope that would be the one that was uh, chosen for TV coverage, but, but like Callum says, it is so disappointing for Cove that they're not going to get the gate the seats. Which could have been thirty, forty thousand at that game. I remember when Peter Head with the Ibrox in the cup many moons ago. I think it was Chris Boyd's debut for Rangers, which shows how long ago it was. Uh, two thousand and six, Sean. Sure was it? Oh God, that makes me feel old. <laughs> <laughs> I was there covering it. <laughs> I think I'd hair back then. <laughs> but I think Peter so Head got Boyd. a big chunk of. Ch- <laughs> <laughs> but they got a, a big chunk of change from that. Which and Cove are going to miss out on that. And also, if Huntley get through their tie against Dumbarton, they're going to miss out on a packed uh, Christie Park. I mean, that would have been absolutely rocking with Aberdeen and Huntley fans. It would have been like a fantastic tie. 
that we're not going to see that. This is going to be played in front of like empty stands. It's so disappointing. But sign of the times. Callum's way to tell us all the other potential ties that we've got. Well, that's what I was going to say, Ryan, if you were going to allow me. There was a few others I was going to mention, but Sean kicked us off with Huntley Aberdeen there. And I mean, that's one of those ones I get. Not just, I mean, it's obviously for Aberdeen fans, it's pretty close to home and that. So I'm sure there would have been a big, uh, if Huntley got through, get through, obviously a big travelling contingent potentially, but also for Huntley fans in the town of Huntley because they were a club. Huntley were a side, I mean, it's maybe an era that it's an era that they'll find very hard to repeat, but if you go back to their sort of golden period in the 90s, playing Premiership opposition in the Scottish Cup was, you know, a, a, a pretty regular occurrence. They played Airdrie, Dundee United and Hearts in the, the Scottish Cup, and two of those games were at Christie Park, and the whole, I believe there's video footage existing on YouTube of it, of some of those games in the whole town of Huntley, which isn't a big town, sort of got behind him. And I think just the Dundee United game especially, I think about everybody in the town was in inside Christie Park. So to potentially be playing Aberdeen in an empty ground is just sort of strange, really. But cer- certainly if they could get through the Dumbarton tie, it would be a great achievement. Nonetheless, and I mean, they beat Dumbarton, as I've said previously, they beat Dumbarton in 1992 to set up a tie with Premiership opposition in Airdrie, so you never know, maybe history can repeat itself. Elsewhere, I think, for Martin United, if they can get through against Annan, it's a an interesting tie. Motherwell would be visiting North Lodge, and I mean, connections there with Paul Lawson having played for Motherwell before coming back up the road to to join for Martin, but the other thing for a club point of view is that it would be the first time for Martin have faced Premiership opposition at North Lodge Park. They've played Aberdeen and Hearts, Colt teams and competitions, but they've never played a full Premiership side at North Lodge Park, so that would be a nice bit of history for them. Peterhead as well, chance if they can defeat Stenhouse Muir to face Kilmarnock at Balmuir, so Again, normally that would have been a decent one in terms of crowd and things, but still a good chance to pit yourself against top flight opposition if you can get through. Another one I was going to mention, uh, and there's more ifs than most of this, but Elgin and Keith potentially um, could meet up. If Elgin can defeat Air United at Borough Briggs and Keith can get the better of Clyde at Kynich Park, so that would be quite a nice local derby to see in, in round three if they, they can both get through. And that brings us uh, on to the, the main event in the north, I suppose. Um, be re- remiss of me not to mention the potential Highland derby that, uh, again, we don't know when it might be, but, uh, you know, Inverness have obviously got the, the tie against Bucky Thistle to take care of, first of all. But if if they do that, as they'll be expected to do, then it sets up a, a fascinating Highland derby and, um, you know, just so much added to it by the fact that John Hughes uh, back in the dugout after a three-year absence um, first cup draw that he's he's handed as a, a return uh, well Ross County would be at home but uh, you know a rematch with the club that he guided to to victory in the tournament in 2015 so um, that's got the, the makings of a, a fascinating tie um, Ross County clearly struggling in the, the premiership and Inverness, albeit with a, a young team, uh, would certainly fancy giving them a, a game. But uh, as I say, wouldn't want to write Bucky off too much at this stage. Uh, you, you just never know. Uh, but certainly, will give Graeme Stewart plenty motivation to have the, you know, the, the carrot of a, a Premiership side to to face in the third round if uh, if they're able to pull off a shock against Inverness. So. Um, when these games will be played, we, we just don't know, but there's certainly going to be plenty to, to look forward to when when they do come back. It's a race against time to see how many of us will be retired by the time the second round is completed and the third round ties. <laughs> played, I'd, I'd wager that um, I won't be, to be fair, but uh, you never know. You never know with these new strains. I know, my anyway, beard's going to be down to my knees by the time this game's You'll need a new mask, Sean. <laughs> I need a mask anyway, just to hide my coot. <laughs> Welder's mask. Anyway. <laughs> Hockey mask. So next up, we'll need to discuss the Premiership games. 
unfortunately. So that's that'll be our final part of this week's podcast. Okay, Aberdeen Rangers at Pataudry in the Premiership at the weekend. Started so well. Obviously ended 2-1 to Rangers, but it started so well. The Dons were, I felt, pretty good. <laughs> Pressing Rangers high, getting on the ball. There was there was a, a sniff of a chance from Sam Cosgrove, which he kind of made a hash of, to be fair. Um, but it was a game ruined by a red card. A red card, I should say, was the right decision, um, according to the rule book. But yeah, after that, it was just a sort of... Um, Although there was a bit of light at the end of the tunnel um, in the second half, it was one of those that was only going to go one way after that first 10 minutes. Yeah, Sean? Yeah, it was like a case of what if, because we'll never know what could have happened if Aberdeen had their 11 players on the park. I mean, it, by the rules, as the rules stand, it was a correct red card, but that's not to, to say that the law isn't an ass, because, I mean, it's ridiculous that. If Ryan Hedges had made like a wild swipe at Morelos, brought him down to deny that goal scoring opportunity, he'd have got a yellow. Yeah, by doing everything possible to avoid making contact and then just clipping his heels accidentally, he gets a red. It's just, it's a ridiculous law. Yeah, which John Beaton did explain to Derek McInnes at half time. Because following the, the Full time, I expected Derek McInnes to launch like a tirade against the referee, but no. Beaton explained it during the break, and McInnes was quite happy with that. Frustrating because Aberdeen were they were they were matching Rangers for that opening twenty five minutes, but we'll never know how that could have panned out if Edges had stayed on the park. It's another one of these laws, isn't it, where there's a there's a, a sweet spot. Uh, in terms of what you're actually allowed to do so you're not allowed to just half somebody with no attempt to win the ball you're also not allowed to try and get out of the way and in the process of that accidentally clip somebody it's only if you're a judge to have made that genuine attempt to win the ball but again at full speed it's one of these things it's very difficult the referees have a a difficult job in their hands uh, policing that one don't they yeah, it's not Beaton's fault. I mean, because if he if he had just given a yellow, then he would have been slaughtered for not sticking to the rules. It's a, in my opinion, it's the rules that are wrong and need to be changed. There's too many it, tweaks to the game now that are just it's ruining it. Do you think um, Aberdeen can take positives from the fact that they didn't go on to get a um, four or five put past them? That the, at a certain point it actually looked like one more chance, and late in the second half, and they could get out of it with a point yeah well post-match I mean Tommy Hoban said that when they went 2-0 down after about 50 minutes also a man down he, he said the perception probably amongst most people would, would have been that it could have been four or five but to their credit I mean Aberdeen never gave up and they didn't just sit back they were they were happy to try and hit them on the break and McInnes pushed uh, Hayes into a more advanced position they linked up well with Cosgrove I mean, they had a fantastic chance when Cosgrove took the, the quick free kick to his. It was only like a, a great save from McGregor, denied, making it 2-1. So there is positives from it, but the bottom line is it's another defeat to Rangers, third this season. But Aberdeen woefully underperformed in the previous two games against the league leaders, but this time at least they had a goal. And they showed a lot of positive signs. Now we've got to take that on to Livingston. Regardless of 10 men or anything else and positives that Sean's spoken about there, both goals that were conceded, Alfredo Morelos, we all know how dangerous a player he can be. Too much space allowed to him in the box. And both Ash Taylor for the first and Shea Logan for the second. I know it happens quickly, but it's one of those occasions where I think both of them are more, you know, in an area and holding the line and marking sp- marking space rather than being tight to Morelos. And the unfortunate thing is that space doesn't score goals, but players do. That so that was a bit of a uh, looking at it maybe 
for that side of things, the defensive side of things, that was, uh, and Willie Miller uh, mentioned it today in his call in the Evening Express as well, I believe uh, that was probably the, the negative for, for Aberdeen, I think, as much as anything was the time and space Morelos was afforded. I mean, Morelos, he, he hadn't been in form for the, like, the last couple of months, but if you give him that space, he's going to punish you. I mean, he had a chance earlier on the match that he wasted, but I mean, he's, he's too good a player not to bury opportunities like that. And it was to Aberdeen's like, detriment that he took him. In terms of the bombshell before the game, um, during the week that it looks like um, Aberdeen's recently fit again, creative um, midfielder Scott Wright isn't going to sign a new deal with the Dons. Dan McInnes last week saying that he reckons that Scott Wright wants to try his hand down in England, although he's been linked to a move to Rangers over the last um, 24 hours. Um, how how big a blow is that for Aberdeen? It's my instinct that it's a huge blow based on the performances this season because Scott Wright has been so central to the games in which they've actually played attractive football, the football that fans want to see. Um, and since he's been out of the team, it's been, it's been very noticeable. Um, the difference in the types of performances the Dons have been putting in, even though they've been picking up points in a lot of those games, is it? Is it a, a big problem? Is it a hole that will need to be filled um, if he does go in January? I think it's a double whammy because not only would Aberdeen be losing one of their most their most attacking, creative players, they could, if he signs a pre-contract, lose him for nothing in the, the summer. I mean, Aberdeen put a lot of money and time into the development of Scott Wright. And to lose him for nothing would be absolutely galling for the club. But it's his prerogative to sign a pre-contract if he wants. Probably the ideal scenario for Aberdeen would be for Wright to move during this window to get some money for them and then for them to use that money to potentially replace him with someone. But how much money do you get for a player who, to be fair to Wright, I think he's a great talent, but he hasn't got that many first game starts behind them. So just how much would Aberdeen get? And it's I, I doubt it would be enough to buy a player of his similar to his talent and start and potential to change a game, which is a concern. I know the con- contract discussions between the rights agent and the club have been going on for a wee bit of time, but I think for Aberdeen as a club and for fans as well, this has probably come as a wee bit of a shock because Sean says this season he's sort of gone a long way to cementing himself as a regular and his performances have been very good. But prior, I mean, I know he obviously had a long-term knee injury, but prior to this season, there's never really been a sustained period of three, four months even where Scott Wright has been a starter every week for Aberdeen. So I think probably supporters and probably the club as well expected that given he was just starting to become or is just starting to become a regular that probably doing a deal and extending his contract would be more straightforward than it's uh, proven to be. Do you Do you feel that given we had a bit of a period of Positivity at the start of the season, uh, good performances. Don's getting a lot of praise for that. The new style of football we're playing with three at the back, lots of free flowing attacking play. That at the moment, average results, few injuries, right potentially leaving the news that there won't be a lot of January business. It does feel like there's a bit, a bit of negativity around things at the moment that they're trying to kind of get out of a, get out of a sort of a, a patch of yeah, as I said, negativity. Yeah, I mean, it was a, a bad week for Aberdeen. Uh, in confirmation, Wright seems likely to leave the club. And then 24 hours after that, Derek McInnes came out with a bombshell that there will be no signings in January, which a lot of fans will find very concerning, cons- considering this is the one window when, I mean, Celtic potentially there for, for the taking. There's a Champions League spot up for grabs. And to come out of this window weaker than going into it, I mean, it's not ideal. 
and it won't go down well with many supporters, and rightly so. But, I mean, the justification for it is that, I mean, we're being hit by this COVID pandemic. There's going to be no supporters at Pitodi for the rest of the season, so they've got to cut their cloth accordingly. accordingly. So, but it has been tough, and it maybe has thrown like a wee negative a blanket over the club at the moment. Two games this week, Sean. As you mentioned, the p- postponed game at Livy from a couple of weeks ago. Um, that'll be played in the plastic pitch at Almond Vale. Tomorrow night, that'll be a tricky one. Um, Livingston obviously beat County at the weekend, so we'll get onto them in a minute. And then Aberdeen play County on at the weekend. So it's all coming together. Andy, Ross County losing 3-1 to Livingston down the road on Saturday. Um, the first goal Livy scored to my mind, was another uh, uh, one, one of these things we've come to expect from County a little bit this season, just a, a sort of lump forward and the defenders all over the place and it allows the attacker in to to be fair. Um, Lob was it Ross Laidlaw in pretty expert fashion and then County came back into it, scored a good equaliser and then I think it was John Hughes who said that at that point he decided that we were going to go for three points instead of one points because we'd always prefer three points and they kind of got caught a couple of a couple of times shorthanded. The second Livy goal was a decent turn from J. Emmanuel Thomas in the middle of the park, which started the move. And the third as well was just a bit of, a bit of head tennis, and then County came up on the came out on the wrong side of it. Um, what's what's your thoughts on where County are at at the moment? I I mean, this was a game that that was in the balance for for quite a a large part of it. Um, I mean, obviously, there was that early setback with um, Scott Robinson's goal. As you say, just a, a pretty routine punt up the park from Nicky Devlin and uh, Ross Laidlaw was caught miles off his goal line, which, um, to be fair, Scott Robinson showed really kind of clever instincts to to spot that and execute the finish. Um, County's reaction was was strong, though. They it took them a while to get going in the game, but I mean their their first attempt of the game quickly became their second because I'm I'm not having Harry Payton. Claiming a, a reverse pass for that one, he was he was shooting. I watched there. it so many times to try and work out whether he had meant it or if it was just an absolutely terrible misconnection on a shot. That was a shot. And from what you're saying, it's the latter. It looked like a brilliant no look pass, though, didn't it? It did. I mean, it, it turned out well because Slacken had um, avoided being offside, and you know he showed really good instincts to take the ball in his stride and and then slot it into the net. Um, he's been a you know a good performer since he came back from injury. Um, and, and from that point on, County, um, you know, to re- relate this to what Aberdeen can expect going down to, to Almond Vale tomorrow night, I mean, obviously with Livingston, you know that you're going to be in for a, a scrap and, you know, coming up against a really well-organised and, and hard-working team. It's it's never pretty. I, that's the third time I've been at Almond Vale for a County game this season, and they've all been horrible to watch. Um, but County matched that side of it really well. Um they looked, um, you know, quite comfortable. You know, with the physical side of the game, they, they had a great chance to go two-one up shortly afterwards. Ollie Shaw had a, a cross put right onto his head by a really good Jason Naismith cross, um, but somehow managed to, to to plant it over the bar. Um, it was one that actually looked worse when I saw it back on the highlights. Um, at the time, it came across to him really, really quickly, but. You know, he was in a great position and he just needed the faintest of contacts uh, on it to, to put it in. And, you know, that would have clearly swung the, the game into County's favour. Um, as John Hughes touched on, you know, he he did kind of fancy the the prospects of going on to take all three points. He, he made a really bold substitution when he, he brought on uh, Billy Mackay in place of Jordan Tilson as holding midfielder on the day. And, and that was a real sign of intent uh, when the game was firmly in the balance, you know, because a, a point would have been a decent result given the, the form that Livingston had shown. They were, um, you know, that made it eight straight wins for them under David Martindale. So, you know, a point at Livingston wouldn't have been a, a bad result for County, but, um, you know, John Hughes at the time obviously felt that there was the chance to to go and try and get slightly slightly more from the, the afternoon's work. Um, and that, that might be something that, that we see again when games are in the balance, um, you know, just that that desire and, and willingness to try and uh, and turn one point into three. It's something that I'm sure the fans will quite 
enjoy seeing. Um, but I suppose it proved costly because, you know, Livingston hit them twice on the, the breakaway towards the end of the game. Alan Forrest came on for Livingston, made a, a big difference. Um, he he got the the second goal, which, as I say, was just from a, a breakaway, really. Um, and by the time the, the third goal went in, County were pushing bodies forward to, to try and equalise for a second time. So, yeah, frustrating afternoon. But um, in terms of how County competed in the game, I wouldn't say there was too much to be you know alarmed about. Again, it, it probably just came down to some, you know, costly defending at uh, at times because the you know the breakaways that Livingston did execute in the latter stages were were preventable. Um, but uh, you know, it's a tough one for them with the the visit of Aberdeen on on Saturday again. I was going to say, Andy, you spoke there about you know going for th- three points rather than one. It- Livingston, I mean, I admired John Hughes's intent, to be fair, and even looking at some of this, you know, the subs he made, he was making attacking substitutions to go all out and, and win the game, and it obviously didn't uh, transpire as the Stoggies would have hoped on this occasion, but do you think, going forward for the rest of the season, if County are in more games like that, where they're in the balance, that John Hughes's approach will, you know, continue to be go for three rather than one if you if you see what I mean I think it's something that might evolve as the season goes on because I think John Hughes's priority when he first came in was to to, to really target the defensive area and make county harder to beat which to a certain degree I think he has um you know with the the results that they've had um you know the obviously the, the main one being winning down at Easter Road and drawing with St Johnston um I, th- I think the the way the game was going on on Saturday, it it looked as if, you know, his his trust in how County were competing and dealing with Livingston, was was there, and so he he kind of took it as a, you know, a nod to how his players were executing his game plan, but but also looking to try and step up the attacking side of it, and you know that's something that again you know we've touched a lot on the defensive frailties that County have shown throughout the season, but the the attacking side of it hasn't been great either. And I think as you, you look at the options that they've got, um, particularly with Tony Andrew coming in, I mean, he had a really good chance late on in the game, but you know, just a, a lack of kind of sharpness there was probably quite telling with his shot that kind of broke to him in the box and he, he just snatched at it and ended up um, you know, being quite an easy save for the, the Livingston goalie. You know, that, that was at a time when, you know, County you know, would have certainly taken the, the point. But I think um, the, the attacking side of it will probably grow as the, the season goes on. And there are going to be some close games coming into the, the business end of the season. So I, th- I think it, it probably will be a sign of things to come. Um, but as I say, the, the defensive side of it has been the, the priority. And I, I think, to you know, with, with the exception of a few kind of costly uh you know, slip-ups county have looked a little bit more resilient in in recent weeks. So I, I think the attacking side of it will will grow as as you know players come back into contention. They've potentially got Ross Stewart back in the fold this weekend. I don't think he'll start the game, but he's he's certainly not far away from returning from his hamstring injury. Um, and you know there might be scope for one or two more additions as well. So. Um, I, th- I think we'll we'll see a little bit more of of John Hughes's kind of style coming into County's play as as the weeks go on. Predictions then quickly: Ross County, Aberdeen this weekend. I'll go for I'll go for three 0 Aberdeen. Whoa. I'll go nice two one Aberdeen. Um, I'm going to tip County for a, a wee point here. I think uh, they've they've got big performances in them and. They'll know what to to expect coming up against the Dons. It's uh, it's a difficult one for Aberdeen before they play County against Livingston. So I think uh, County will back themselves to to take a a much needed point from from this one. I'm with Andy one one for me. Okay, that then concludes this week's episode of Northern Goal. It's technically our second of the week. We done an interview with Eric Black, the Aberdeen legend, uh, just yesterday, but this obviously this other episode today, trying to space them out in future, perhaps. Anyway, 
thank you to Callum, Sean, and Andy for joining me today. Cheers, guys. Thank no you. bother. Thanks None of much. us are Eric Block, but you've just said to make do. <laughs> <laughs> I just said to make do. Yeah, it's been difficult for me and Andy this. Um, anyway, if you enjoyed this episode, you wouldn't have enjoyed it as much as the Eric Black episode, to be fair, but if you enjoyed this episode, um, you can like and subscribe at your favourite podcast app. You can email northerngoal at dctmedia.co.uk. Um, finally, I sort of said this the last time football was shut down. It's obviously not all been shut down this time, but we will try and update you every step of the way on Northern Goal. And if you are still going to be watching Premiership Championship football this weekend, then enjoy. Cheers. Hope you loved the episode. And if you did, we'd be grateful if you could leave us a review or rating on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts. And don't forget to pick up your copies of the Press and Journal and Evening Express every day for the best football writing and analysis in the North.